Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. If you're a veteran looking to transition into the cybersecurity industry, this episode is made for you. We brought together three veterans who now work in cyber. James Murphy, the director of TechVets, Andy Woolhead, Crest Global Head of Product, and Josh Keeley, director and co-founder of Trident Search. They build on their experiences transitioning from the military to cyber to talk about how to upskill appropriately, the importance of finding a mentor and networking in the industry, and tips for finding the right job and company for you. This episode is full of great advice and we hope you find it useful. Josh, uh, I'm a former Royal Marine, uh, left in 2015, and for the last seven years I've been in the recruitment sort of industry, uh, and I'm now one of the co-founders of Trident Search, a cybersecurity recruitment company. Over to you, James. Uh, yeah, um, I'm James Murphy. I served for two decades in the military. Uh, I left and went into cyber threat intelligence before taking over as the first CEO of TechVets, a non-profit and program within forces employment charity essentially supporting the forces community into IT careers with a real focus on cybersecurity. Andy? Hello, everybody. My name's Andy Woolhead. I uh, was in the Royal Navy for 24 years, uh, and at the tail end of my career, got parachuted into uh, cyber, um, looking at the people and training and and skills aspect of it. Um, I transitioned back in 2017, joining SANS, uh, as a business development director, and uh, I've been with Crest for the last seven months as head of global product. So looking forward to speaking to you all about your transition. Nice. Thanks, guys. So today we're just going to spend kind of half an hour or so just talking about kind of hopefully shedding some light on how to transition from your military career into a career in the cybersecurity industry. Uh, there'll be sort of two or three talking points. Um, the first, guys, I just want to kick off with um, you've just put your notice in, you've done your seven clicks to freedom. Um, the first, I suppose, key bit of information you need, right, is all of the different types of careers out there and just sort of having some knowledge and awareness of those types of careers so that you can pinpoint more accurately as to what avenue and what pathway you can go down to, um, especially when you are looking at things like certifications, training, networking and stuff. Um, James, obviously, you're well situated here, um, seeing kind of the whole industry from a TechVex point of view. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a very short overview of what types of careers are out there, maybe from like defensive, offensive, etc.? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think first and foremost, it's a really good resource. Um, the UK Cybersecurity Council have a careers route map, which is a good start point. It's not going to give you, you know, it's not the silver bullet, but it gives you some really good ideas on the varying types of skill sets within various career pathways. But we can broadly put these into, you know, as, as Josh alluded to, defensive security, um, defensive security and security operations, uh, threat intelligence, governance, risk and compliance, and you've got your management stuff in there as well. So it really depends on what sort of thing you're, you're looking for. But that's what we would certainly refer to as the core cyber roles, where actually everything is part of that job is pretty much devoted to a technical um, or, or certainly a specialist cyber career path. Whereas you also have that it's worth mentioning the core as well as the cyber enabled career path where you're talking about your cyber sales, your cyber recruitment, cyber project management and, and stuff like that. But I, I think that if you're looking at offensive security, you know, a lot of people will be looking at things like pen testing, web app testing, that sort of stuff. Um, that can be a bit more challenging to get into. It's very technical. If you're looking for a good start point in cyber, then things like security operations where you can get into a security operations center, also known as a SOC analyst, um, that, that tier one SOC analyst role 
um, is a is probably a really good start point. And then you've got your other things, your, your, your threat specialists and threat intelligence, where you, you kind of you know, supporting the other elements. Um, but there's lots of transferable skills here. You know, you've seen this yourself, Andy and Josh. You know, in, in your time. What What's the decision making process into how you choose which avenue to go into? So, no, I, th- I think there needs to be a management of expectations first and foremost. And we have a lot of people leaving the military. You, you definitely see this, um, Josh, and people coming to to Trident. You know, looking for jobs. It's understanding that actually, just because you want to get in cyber and you've done a five day boot camp, it's not that easy. You've got to have the skills to underpin um, that the functionality that you're going to be performing, regardless of what role within within a core cybersecurity career path. So, so that's first and foremost is understanding that it's not it's not something you can just think of overnight and then and then move into. It takes sometimes quite a, quite a while to build up the skill set. Um, when you are looking at that role, though, I think. Look, first and foremost, when you leave in the military, think about your geographic location. You know, don't don't do all the learning to become a you know an offensive specialist if you're in East Midlands because there aren't that many organisations there that are going to support you for those sort of roles, regardless of more hybrid and remote stuff. But think about what really interests you. You know, do you want to be someone that's going and looking for vulnerabilities, testing something, testing the, the resilience of a network to see where it's got flaws that the hacker could can get through? Do you want to be that person? That takes like me takes that traditional sort of intelligence um, experience uh, and and but understands how a, a threat actor can can target an organisation or a person you know using cybersecurity um, tools and methodologies you know, or um, you know or, or, or do you want to be someone that's building resiliency into an organisation through things like ISO twenty seven thousand one you know you've got your NIST frameworks and whether you're whether you're managing cyber risk you know, there's all sorts of stuff but the benefit of that careers route map. It gives you a lot of the considerations to think of in those given career paths. So you can start seeing the sort of things that interest you or not. I mean, but when I left, you know, I, I, I had a plan and, you know, I, I knew the sort of things that were going to interest me because I'd networked enough to, to learn more about myself. But, you know, you're talking everything from salary, location, type of company, you know, and when we talk type of country, company, size, structure, dynamic, you know, mission, tech stack, the work. So there's lots of considerations in there. You know, and there's plenty of resources to find that sort of support. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think if you can break it down into two areas, are you technical? Have you got some skills, whether it's offensive or defensive, or have you been one of those cyber enablers throughout your career, which, or even towards the tail end as I was? Um, And, you know, they always say that there's a job for everybody in cyber. You know, is is a project manager in cyber or a risk manager in cyber the same as a risk manager in, in the construction industry? Well, yes and no. Actually, you'd learn to learn to talk the talk and walk the walk and understand it a little bit better. So, you know, I moved into into sales. I didn't think I was going to be a salesman. I, I did it before I joined university and hated every moment of it. But actually, what um, some of these companies are looking at buying your black book. Let's let's be um, let's be you know straight up about it. Um, you know, and that that provides an advantage. But if you don't see that as the rest of your career. Um, your second career, then have a rethink. I think there's some, you know, the, the way I've always looked at it, that there's three things about a job. There's location, job satisfaction, and money. And those things will go up and down on a sliding scale at different times of your career in your life, where there's different motivations uh, and, and different pressures, um, whether it's family or, 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 or otherwise. And I think it's really important to imagine yourself 
as a civilian professional? What what does that look like? The second one is is building that identity. Once once you've um, once you've decided on the career path that you want to take, uh, and and it needn't needn't be the rest same for the rest of your career. You could you can veer and haul on that, uh, and then do the networking around that, and and that will inform the first one in imagining yourself as that career professional and which path you're going to take. As James was saying, you know, there's all sorts of different things you'll learn as you, as you go about the networking and understanding what companies are good and bad to work for. What sales is actually like? None of us have sold anything for money uh, whilst we're in the military. And what pressures are going to be applied to you in terms of meeting those sales targets? Are you, um, are you aggressive enough to go out and have you got uh, the confidence to go and do it? Um, on what is generally a really big roller coaster ride on sales, you know, it's a good week, some bad weeks and months um, and you'll be riding high and otherwise you'll be in down in the depths going what the blaze am I doing here um, so there's pros and cons to all these things um, so my my advice is just dig deep on all of them and find out as much as you can and settle on one and go for it and Josh with, with, with you at Trident I mean you'll have you'll have this sort of added benefit if a veteran comes to you you know you know their background and I think one, one thing that's really important when people leave for me is that they they seek out people that know what they're talking about rather than going off, you know, untrustworthy sort of guidance. It's seeking out those guys and girls that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt in the military, but are now in cyber. And I think, you know, we built our, our community off of that sort of thing. And in, in a very similar way, Trident have, you know, you have quite a few veterans in your team or certainly certainly a number of them that I know. Yeah, and we, we have a kind of, not really a structure, but we have, when people come to us and they say, hey, no matter, regardless of the cat badge and background, um, we ask the same types of questions, right? You've got your three um, kind of motivators. Andy, you pointed to this. We call it people, purpose, and pay. Um, and it could go in that order, right? Find the people that you want to work with, company, mission, vision, etc. What's the purpose behind what you're doing when you do leave and you do visualize yourself as that city? Um, and then the pay will follow, uh, albeit everyone has a red line. Um, and then you look at things like geographical location and things. And, but we take it back to who are you as a person? What should... What, what, are you kind of an introvert who likes to sit behind a screen all day and be a techie? Then cool. Probably would like to be a hacker or sit in front of a screen and be a SOC analyst, do, do sort of seven on, seven off, etc. Um, or are you more personable and you might be a really good cyber consultant and go work for a big four or straight sales or, or recruitment? Um, who knows? But, um, but yeah, we, we kind of draw them out of people. And then, it, and then we also encourage them to say, go and speak to their network and people that have left previously and say, hey, what mistakes have you made? Where are you currently working? Because me and you are quite similar when we're in the same troop together. Um, what, what kind of direction have you gone down, pathway and stuff? So, um, yeah, um, I think, yeah, it's the same as what you guys said, really. Um, just kind of build on that. Net networking brings it together, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I networked for seven, eight years before I left the military, but five years was concentrated on a plan. And I, and I went from thinking I wanted to go into a big company you know, something with lots of money. You sound far too organised, James. You mean you didn't rush the last three months of resettlement? <laughs> exactly. So every mentor I spoke to said, you've got to leave it for the last two minutes and then and then sign off and decide what you want to do after. Um, no, I mean, I was lucky. I was I was injured. I always knew my time would come to an end at some point. Um, and, and because of that, rather than wait for the inevitable end of the 24 years, 22 years, I built my plan in beforehand and gave myself enough time. And that's very rare though. Um, but because I'd done enough networking, I went from thinking big company, perhaps finance sector or in a consultancy, you know, money oriented. Um, and five years later after that networking, I wanted something really small, 
that I could put my hand on and feel like it had a heartbeat. Um, and, and that's exactly what I ended up with, um, with, with TechBet. So, so I think networking got me there because it enabled me to understand a lot more about myself. While I was at the points you make there, Josh, about, you know, people, or was it per, people, person, pay? You know, I understood more about what I wanted as, as an individual, what sort of company I wanted to be in. And even the industry as well, because people say, oh, I want to get to the cyber industry. And I said, oh, well, do you want to sell a cyber product or, or deliver a cyber service? Oh, no, I want to work in the cyber team. I said, well, then, then look everywhere, because it may be, you know, your, the poison that you're really after is, is in renewable energy or in healthcare, you know, or in space and, and satellite, in which case there's cyber roles there. And you can really find that right organization that's good for you, where you feel like you've got that purpose already before you even start your cybersecurity role. I think that's a really good point, James. You know, you, you can advise people to go to these cyber conferences, you know, whether it's Black Hat or or, or the, you know, the recent one we've just had at uh, Olympia. And, you know, you, you can talk to all the consultants and the service providers and the, and the product um, or orientated companies. And actually, they're at the top end of the market. But you're absolutely right, whether you're talking the legal profession, you know, whatever, they all need something. And, um, you know, that might be a really good start to be quite a big fish in a small pond and make a real difference and then build up to uh, some of those bigger players that, um, you know, you're going to struggle to um, get into straight away unless you've got a unique selling point. You know, yeah. are you the are you the army's best pen tester or best SOC manager? Yeah, we'll take you. And some of these companies will invest, absolutely. Uh, and a lot of people have a lot of success getting into to those organizations. But actually, when I sort of see people on LinkedIn and, and see where they're moving to, a lot of these companies I haven't heard of. And I'm oh, well done. You know, yeah. this guy must have networked somewhere, um, you know, and some doors have opened for him. And, and off he goes on his second career. I think there's a risk element in there. You know, if, you, if you're a big company, it's very difficult for you to change your, your recruitment policies because they're bigger. They're set in stone. They're quite bureaucratic at, at times. Whereas with the smaller companies, they can they, they can change. They can they can create an opportunity for someone to go into a paid internship type program. But also, as a small and medium enterprise, you don't want to spank you know serious amounts of cash on a five to ten year experience cyber professional. Generally, you won't be able to afford that. You know, but you, if you bring on a graduate, you may not have the the overheads to support that that individual. Whereas with a veteran, you've got that really nice professional and life experience and within a candidate, you know, to bring that value to a team. And actually, they're going to upskill a lot quicker in the technical stuff, because generally speaking, that's one of the common traits that we that we see. Maybe look for the armed forces covenant um, organizations as well. And, and some of those smaller ones might not be. And that probably brings us on to our next point, I guess, about, you know, how do you sell yourself? You know, those skills that you've learned in the military all over those years, teamwork, leadership, discipline, you know, that, that some of these smaller organizations and maybe some of the larger ones just don't really understand. And how you can translate your language into their language is, is a fascinating one, I think, where a lot of us, I probably fell down. I mean, I'll be interested to see what you say, Josh, about this, um, given that you're seeing the skills in demand, not just the certifications on specs, but but the skills versus candidates coming through and where the veteran it generally in a, with a common skill set would, would sit. Yeah, we look, most, I like to think all ex-military and armed forces and law enforcement as well and government agency workers, et cetera, have the kind of key common kind of core 
uh, traits and characteristics that we all know and love, right? And it's all been ingrained into us for years and it's why we make our bed in the morning and, and, all, and all shave, James. And um, so, but, uh, <laughs> um, but the thing that the industry is crying out for, right, are just dependable, loyal people that can go, I will turn up to work and I will not leave in 12 months time for a 5K pay packet increase, et cetera, et cetera. That's, yes, that's in demand. And I think that will forever be in demand in most industries. Um, but when we have people approach us who have military jargon all over the CVs and, and things like that, it's sitting down and going, okay, but what do you actually do? Like, let's compare some job descriptions. You should have hopefully tracked a few different jobs that you like the look of on LinkedIn. Save them in your, in your LinkedIn job alerts. And then we can have a look at that and go, have you actually done that? And then they go, oh, actually, yeah, I have. Uh, where does it say on your CV? And you're like, oh, it actually says it there. And I'm like, okay, but I'm now a civilian hiring manager. I don't understand that. So how do we now translate that into what that actually is in the job description? Um, that is uh, what we see most people lean on friends and families and stuff outside of the armed forces world. Um, and when you have those conversations and you're kind of consulting the people that are leaving uh, and just, just, just helping uh, provide advice, they then go, oh, actually, I have done that, but I just forgot about that. Because for me, that was my day-to-day, -day, that was normal. And you think, well, hang on, if you've been working in, in, in Cheltenham, in the donor, and you've been doing that, seven on, seven off, etc. following the sun or whatever, um, that's not normal. Um, the private sector needs more people like you and especially the super techies that are like 2996, for example, um, they're the practitioners, that, that, that is the skill shortage. Um, but yeah, the, the whole CV translation and the CV talk um, or military talk, um, I think it's getting better because more as the industry gets more and more kind of <laughs> saturated or full of, full of us guys leaving, girls leaving, um, there's more people to lean on for advice. Um, and we, we see kind of like, um, where the more they talk to their friends and, and the more they go for the, the kind of, the, the longer through resettlement, you see they talk less and less kind of the jack speak and stuff. And it's amazing when people can just turn it on and off depending yeah. on who they're talking to. I think, I think the career transition partnership has, has certainly got better. I mean, even when I left, it was still very good. Um, and, then, and then to get that sort of real specialist advice and guidance on that CV, you know, I always say to people, have mentors. You know, I have three or four at any given time. Sometimes they changed over over time, but but I think that's it's really important to have those sort of people that can help you and be that sounding board for your for your decisions. Um, but but then what what we did was you know again similar to the community, we, everyone in the veteran community pretty much wants to lean back in and and you know help the next person to get through those challenges. So we we've just I mean I implemented a volunteer system in in tech vets. Christ, we're 37 now, and, and 17 of those are, are reviewing CVs. Now, all of those have, are either currently hiring managers, most of which in cyber, some outside of cyber, um, but, but they're, if they're not, then they have been experienced in that process. Most of them are even hiring people into those roles. So, you know, if you can get someone who's a cyber security consultant, you know, who's a hiring manager, who, who's CV in your review, uh, uh, giving you a CV review, you know, you're not really going to get much better than that, especially if they've got a, a, a veteran as a veteran, they've got a military background because they will, they will know exactly what's worked for them on their CV. But I think you're, you're right. I think there, there is still too much jargon. The jargon would be okay, but there's not enough numbers, data, stats, figures within, within that jargon. You could have all sorts of jargon in there. As long as there's a hiring manager or a CV, someone looking at that CV, you could pick out a percentage increase in capability or a change to a post process or policy that implemented you know, X, X numbers of difference or made, save this money or made this money. And, and there's ways to do that. You know, when you're talking systems and processes, 
even the section commander in the infantry uses the six section battle drills. Now, if I think back to working with an incident response team, they had that. They had that process of how they deal with an adversary. Now, what they did is they tested that over and over and over again. And they run multiple scenarios. And that wasn't to test against each one of those very specific enemies. It was to test that process, to then build in their own ways in which they would deal with certain unique adversaries or TTPs. Now, that's exactly what you do in the infantry. You know, and you would have done that in the Marines as well, Josh. You know, and I think when we look at this sort of basic skill set that people take for granted, it's there. You just need to add some of the technical stuff on top of that. Um, but 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 there is a lot to give. And McKinsey and company did a wonderful bit uh, article on the future um, the future skill sets required the critical skills for the future workforce. A really good article, but in there they boiled it down to uh, 56 deltas, and they grouped those into four areas. One was tech, cyber, software, dev. You can push those to one side for now. The other three you could go through, and I'm ticking them off as I go, thinking, Christ, that's, I see that daily in, in the CVs that come through tech vets. You know, and that's because the cognitive skills, self-leadership, interpersonal skills are those three big areas. And within there, there's so many common skill traits that are required, and that, and that includes for cyber as well. Nice, nice. So we've identified the pathway, hopefully a single pathway, maybe two. Uh, they might link into each other quite nicely. Um, and I'm 12 months out now. I've literally just put my shit in. How do I now work out what certifications to take? What courses do I go on? Are there, James, well, Andy, definitely, you'll be quite well positioned to go. Like, wh where's the resource I can go and just Google? Because you can't, can you just put what cybersecurity courses are, are there? I'm guessing all of the providers come up that cost thousands. Like, how do I identify, I want to be a SOC analyst, what yeah. courses do I need? Andy, uh, Andy, do you mind if I just, uh, I'm going to give way to you on this, but first, because this is my biggest, biggest pet hate in the forces community. People are exploiting them. They know they've got money. People are giving them the wrong information and they're going out and getting certifications that just have no value and they're spanking thousands. There's a question to be had between open source versus premium. You know, premium is always going to be fairly good as long as you've got the right training provider and the right certification. You know, you're going to get that advice by going to trusted veterans who have got your back, who have got no skin in the game, and they're going to give you the right advice. So if you're, if you're a service leaver or a veteran, join the tech vets community. We've got hundreds of veterans in there, and they will tell you exactly what the right stuff is and what the right stuff isn't. Most of the time, they'll signpost you to stuff that's free on YouTube. But, you know, make, you know, if you go in for certain career paths, there are certain certifications, as Andy will come on to now, which just make the difference. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, there's, um, I think we all go down into the the learning credits and, 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 and pick up a couple of courses that we think, because maybe we have or haven't made up our mind yet. Um, you know, I, I went off and did um, APMP and risk management and project management. And I thought, actually, in hindsight, why did I do that? You know, because, you know, in, in the military, we do a lot of project management and risk management. But actually, it's nowhere near as formalized as, as it is in, uh, in in the commercial world. So whilst we think we do it um, day to day, actually don't really. But anyway, getting back to cyber, you're absolutely right. There are shed loads of, of stuff there. And it's something we thought about putting up on the Crest website in terms of our outreach program. And one of the people that I follow on LinkedIn is a chap called Daniel Kelly. He was the chap as 14 years old that hacked into Talk Talk. He's on the right side of the law now, having served a couple of years. But he posts, 
our whole host of free resources. I think his latest one, he's put up 24 YouTube channels that are appropriate to cyber. I think previously he's got 57 free training resources um, for cybersecurity, whether it's cyber, I won't try and um, list them out, but have a look. Daniel Kelly uh, on LinkedIn, so many free resources. There is a few on on, on, on learning credits that you can get, um, but actually a lot of these courses are really expensive. Um, does that does that demonstrate a bit of a commitment? Possibly, um, but there's an awful lot you can do. Hack the box, try hack me, immersive labs. You know all these sort of things you can get on. Uh, actually, compete with people and engage with them uh, as well. Um, I think most people coming out of the military of um, of you know those that are technical have uh, a, a number of certs behind them. Um, and I think you know probably back to to Josh again. You know which ones are valued. When I was looking, there was a lot of, of, and I never quite worked it out, CISP seems to be on nearly every job application or, or, or job spec. And and as we know, it's really broad, but actually quite shallow. Um, yeah, but it, but it also requires you to have spent five years in the industry. And now, is that what recruiters really want? Or are they just trying to expand the pool in the hope that they might find the person they're looking into or are they just uninformed and they're not quite sure what they want? Um, and they hope that because CISP has been around for 25, 30 years, that it's the world's most recognized one. And, and we'll stick that on because they must be good. Um, but actually, you know, the Cybersecurity Council are going through this at the moment. You know, what what certification is worth what? Do we rack and stack against each one? You know, is it SANS at one end? Is it is it CompTIA or ICS squared? Is it CREST? You know, it, it's a minefield. Um, so you've got to be able to, um, you know, explain what you've achieved in doing that and how you've how you've used it. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, put put down any cert over anything else um, because they all demonstrate some level of commitment to um, demonstrating your knowledge, skills, and experience. Um, and, and the broader you can go, the better. But you know, I'd just say focus down on one particular area, if it's SOC, IR, offensive, defensive, um, you know, and, and gather a few of those. But but what really counts, you know, that might be a headline grabber on your CV, but what really counts is what's behind it. You know, you're passionate, are you committed, and what can you add to that company? And is it a good fit? I mean, look, you can get you can get all the foundational stuff. You know, you, you come to your network plus, security plus, you can get with Professor Messer on YouTube. You know, you can you can access Cisco academies like TechVets One to get CCNA. If you want to get to that start point where you can you understand a network and, and can secure it, then then that's great. Not everyone's going to be able to afford a SANS course. You know, that's that's quite high end premium. Fantastic training, and arguably the leading um, training. Um, you know, for for some of the stuff that they do. But I think the problem that we have is when people are coming out. You know, and, and I'll, I'll talk about CEH. I don't think it's a bad certification. I just don't think it's right for a lot of people in the UK markets. Because if you look, you know, and I've spoken to um, another recruiter, it wasn't you, Josh, sorry. Um, but um, but, but they, they basically gave me the stats on every offensive security job that they had in their system, what certifications came up and how much percentage each one was up. And actually around the mid-20s, you had Crest and CSTM. And just slightly below that, you had OSCP. Right down at nine percent, at nine percent, you had CEH. Yet we're getting a lot of people leaving the military, and through CTP, they're accessing this course and paying for it using their credits, you know, or they're going to some training providers really pushing it. And then when they're going to hiring managers, the hiring managers saying, "Look, that's 
know, five days doing that certification, I'm sorry, that just does not give you what you need. Now, that's great. And it, as you said, if you if you mix that up, if, you, if you're doing loads of other stuff as well, the idea is you want to build your skills. The certification is there to benchmark your capability with a, with a hiring manager. It's there to give you that confidence as well. You know you're on the right track. You're still enjoying it. And you've got the your self-validation that actually you can do it. You know, and, and it and it does help with the CV sift if you've got the right ones on there. But other than that, it's the underpinning technical ability that you've learned throughout that learning journey, and whether or not you, you can't answer exam questions, but you can solve technical problems with the technical skills that you've built. And I think that's where we start talking about this specific training provider, the instruction. How good is that instructor at taking you beyond the topics, beyond the exam questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to add to that a couple of minutes is, yes, the underlying foundational courses, CompTIA is the one that everyone reverts to, your Network Plus followed by your Sec Plus in terms of civic, like difficulty, um, regardless of what career you're going into, because that demonstrates that you have the very foundational basic knowledge of IP addresses, subnet masks, et cetera, et cetera, right? How computers talk to each other. Um, and then you might then try and layer on a, a kind of another couple of sort of practitioner quals, um, like a SISMP or a Crest registered or something like that. That's very kind of again foundational, but more geared towards that specific pathway or um, vertical that you want to get into. That's enough. Um, if you go and sort of start badge collecting um, and getting your 50 meter swimming badge on your speedos, when you go to interviews, they're going to be asking, why did you go down? Why did you get CEH? You're interviewing for a SOC role. Why did you get it? And you're going to have to justify that, right? And back to what you said, Andy, about. Um, Yes, having a few quals is great and it demonstrates that you have a theoretical knowledge and you can pass an exam, but tell me what you're doing in your spare time. Tell me what you're building uh, outside of work. Um, tell me what, what threat actors you're tracking, what latest breaches you're seeing, what websites, what tools you're using. A lot, lot of it's free, right? Um, and just show me like even just basic OSINT techniques of how you can pivot from metadata pieces and, and whatnot. So that's more important than you going around collecting badges, especially the CISP. Um, CISP is becoming less in demand. It's still seen on a lot of job specs. We had this conversation this morning with a client and they chucked it in there, brand new first InfoSec officer in their company uh, because they had copy and pasted it from another job description because it's the easiest way to do it, right? So then once we advise, actually, why do you want CISP? Um, and also this person only needs two years experience. So they can't get CISP. They can't get sponsored for five years experience, right? Um, and you educate them. And it's like, actually, I don't care about the CISP. I just want someone to be able to demonstrate that they understand the principles behind each discipline in the CISP. Um, then you're like, okay, I can find you someone that can do that. I can get someone with a CISMP that can do that. Um, so we're not seeing a particular qualification in demand unless you're a really specialist like pen testing, then OSCP is great because it's a practical exam over 24 hours, right? Um, just back to your point about five minutes ago, Andy. Daniel Kelly, by the way, for those that are trying to search him, it's K-E-L-L-E-Y. Um, I've just been trying to find him for five minutes and I've just done it. So uh, <laughs> um, basically my name, take an E out, put an L. Um, so, you, just, you, you just use your OSIN skills. That, that's why you, you wouldn't have got taught that, you know? That's yeah, cool. knowledge, knowledge, exactly. So um, yeah, so that's really good on the quals. Guys, uh, thank you for your advice. Have you guys have you guys seen any organisations, probably the larger ones, using aptitude assessments, giving you a lab and going, right, because I know I've heard of a few of them. Because a lot of them will say, actually, I don't care about these quals, don't care what you say. Actually, can you do the job? Yes, immersive labs. So any any organization that is an immersive labs customer can build that in. And actually, what we what we've seen in the past is people saying, look, you know, if you can complete these these labs, 
you know, then, then it, you can apply for the job. And that's at least tested that initial aptitude. But further on, once you're getting inside the organization, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to get those interviews, that first and second stage interview, at that point, you know, you can really bring those out. You know, and, and, and I suppose that's one way of doing it. But I, I think generally, I mean, I'd like to get your thoughts on technical interviews, to be fair, Josh, because I think that's where the technical interview comes in. Yeah, I think, um, so we always trying to veer away from the pre-screen technical kind of tests and, hey, can, like, can you hack this box and show us how you've done it and then explain it? Um, because it doesn't make you a competitive employer because you've, they'll go, well, your competitors are not asking me to do that. So the best stage is, the best approach, so to speak, is to get that first chat as long as the CV looks half decent or you go for a recruiter and you trust them and, and they've done the screening. Um, what we see that works really well on the defensive side is the SOC manager, so to speak, will, will share their screen and will show a log and will say, hey, what's wrong with this log? And um, it's not necessarily that they're trying to identify the problem, so to speak. It's more about how the analytical thinking and how they're troubleshooting and pivoting from, that doesn't look right, so that means that down here, that can't look right. And that's they're just trying to get into the mind of the candidate. Um, but uh, the offensive side, it's, I just don't think it's competitive if you say, hey, can you go hack this box? right at the start, because like, well, I don't know anything about your company, I've applied for 50 jobs and I've got five interviews next week. Um, you can do it at a later stage. A lot of them do like peer-to-peer -peer stuff, so they do it together on a screen share. Um, and the hiring managers will do something wrong and they're waiting for you to call them out and say, well, hang on a minute, I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, so they have their place. The immersive lab ones are brilliant. I think more so for teams that are currently, or people that employees that are already in the team, so start upskill, um, continuous development. Um, just moving on away from qualifications and tests and stuff, um, we want to talk about the actual application process and how you go about doing so. It's super alien to everybody that's leaving, right? You might have been doing 22 years in the core and you've never applied for a job since you were 16 in the AFCO. Um, so um, I think the first um, topic or point I want to sort of make, and it's obviously quite relevant to me, is how, and how you approach recruitment agencies and how you deal with them, right? We're a necessary evil that you can't avoid. So, um, and, and how do we fit into the ecosystem? So just to explain very quickly, because uh, I want to teach everyone how to suck eggs. We work on behalf of organizations to help them find people, right? We're a middleman, middle woman, and we, we make our fee or our living by charging a client to find you, the candidate. Now, to identify and choose a good agency, and I'm not saying you should only choose one, you should work with a couple, because it will spread your kind of hedge your bets around the industry and kind of the, the scope that they'll have out there and the reach. But make sure you choose a specialist that goes about saying, someone that's not a generalist and does all areas of cyber. Make sure the person you're talking to does, knows the area that you do very, very well, or the area of the career that you want to go into. Um, secondly, a big indicator of what a good recruiter looks like. Um, the conversation you have is, yes, they should be offering advice for free because they love doing what they do and they want to help. Secondly, it shouldn't just all be about one vacancy that they have on. When they have a conversation with you, it should be, Talk to me about what you want. Talk to me about your three Ps, your people, purpose, and pay. Let's help with your CV. Yes, I have a vacancy here that I think you're good for. However, I also work with these six other companies that might also be of interest. Um, would you like to, for me to speak to them on your behalf? I'm not promising anything will come of it, but I will put in a good word and I should have a good relationship with those people that um, I can explain your story and what you're trying to do. So they should be in constant contact with you weekly, giving you updates and not just talking to you about one vacancy uh, because that's their live opening that they've currently got. It should just be about how else can I help you and what other areas um, and what introductions. Like my job is to connect people. That's all I do every day. Um, 
And I should be trying to do that in more than one way rather than just, I've got this job description, do you want to apply for the job? Because um, the chances are you've got five other people applying for that one job. Uh, I should be trying to put you out to as many as possible and try to connect you with people in the industry. Um, and if anything, just making introductions on LinkedIn, for example. So just groups. Um, yeah, that's just kind of like how to approach recruitment agencies. Um, I would certainly ask friends of friends who have dealt with good recruiters in the past. Uh, referrals are always the most important and, and powerful way um, if they're tried and tested. So, yeah, it's just my kind of my 10 cents. I don't know if you guys have any other experiences um, or better ways of dealing with recruiters. Tried and tested. That could be your new strap line, Josh. Tried and tested. Tried and tested. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick up the commission later. Yeah, new marketing manager. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I, I never used one, and it, and it wasn't... Actually, I didn't really know much about them, to be honest, um, but I was quite fortunate. I just networked, and I'd already been networking. I didn't really... Throughout my plan, I never really needed to engage in recruit, recruiters because I wasn't at that stage. I was, I was basically speaking to people in teams and you know, team leads, hiring managers, directors, and people actually doing these jobs so I could get a better understanding. And actually, naturally, through networking, but there were people learned a bit more about me as a, as a reciprocal sort of part of that of that process, and and actually I built relationships in a way that I could then start connecting with people for jobs that they had, and I think the benefit that I found in doing that, I mean, look, I mean, this is the this is the argument, it is automated systems versus networking and recruitment agencies. To be perfectly frank, um, I, I think I think both the latter are in the same pool. Um, I think the automated systems, you lose everything about who you are as, as someone in the military. All those interpersonal skills you've built, um, you, you can be lost because you haven't got the right, you, you, you've not been able to play the CV game. Whereas I think the ability to be able to talk to someone who, you know, and, and a number of times just because I'd had that conversation with them and built that relationship over a, a few weeks or months, when the time came, that, that CV was handed to the hiring manager rather than going on the pile and maybe sifted out. And I think that was that was the difference. But But I got mine through the tech vets community because it was a network. It was a network that was there where someone said, look, I've got this job uh, and it was someone I've worked with in the past. And that's how I found my, my way into in, in, in cyber threat intelligence. I think the good thing we got is the cyber industry is actually quite small. You know, if you go yeah. around, uh, you know, some of these conferences, you're bumping into people all over the place. And, and, and that really helps us network as, as as james just said i had some pretty torrid experiences with recruiters you know i wasn't technical therefore on your bike son you're not uh, you're not what we're after you know and the cyber generalist role that a number of our listeners might be interested in i think was was a real struggle with um with with, with some of the recruiters because they're not those jobs that aren't always associated with specific cyber or, or the title for example so then there's going direct, you know, and you're looking on LinkedIn and you're seeing the jobs pages and, and, and to James's point, you know, are you getting the right catchwords into your CV for them to be sifted by, by, a, um, by a computer? So, you know, I think what we're all saying is that there is, there is definitely, um, definitely use and utility. I'd say more so for the technical people with recruiters because that's where the real demand is. Um, but also network, network, network. I mean, we've, we've, we've said this at the beginning. Just to, just to bring some of that to life on what do you mean? 
Josh will tell you about his Waterloo Cyber Club in a minute. When I was leaving, there was a thing called The List that used to meet up in London once a month. And and, and it was almost like um, speed dating. A few, recruit, uh, a few companies that were looking people would come along, tell you what they were looking for, and you'd be in the dream over a few drinks and introduce yourself. It was great. AFCEA, A-F-C-E-A, really good organization. They've got a load of regional um, regional clusters, and they're really on the lookout for young AFCians at the moment. Um, you, you, you don't have to be serving. Um, you don't have to be retired or a veteran. Um, but it's a bit male, pale and stale, and they really want to grow that out. Um, and, and it's a fantastic network opportunity. Tech UK up in town. Um, again, they, they run, um, they run um, talks and presentations pretty much weekly on, on cyber, and they're, they're a really big influencer in the industry. And then, of course, there's the conferences to go and um, you know, move and shake at uh, and, and get talking to people there. So it's a huge amount of opportunities. And then, of course, we miss the obvious is LinkedIn. You know, don't be afraid of, you know, I'm leaving in a year's time. Here's what I'm good at. Can anybody point me in, in the right direction? And before you know it, you've got those shares and reposts and and, you, and you've built your network out immeasurably over a really short period of time with very little effort. But, but veterans as well. You know, like each one of us is a veteran. Yeah. How, how, many, how many times do we speak to people? Do we reach out? You know, and that's just the three of us. Now, you know, beyond us, there's a whole community of people that are veterans. A lot, a lot of veterans in cybersecurity, all of them want to help. All of them want to put their put their hand back over the wall to pull that next person up. So I think anywhere where you can connect, with, you know, I connected with loads of veterans on LinkedIn. Again, you know, to call out Trident on this, they've got veterans in their team. I know a lot of their team have also done certifications. They understand the sort of stuff that you're going through. It's a specialist recruitment agency. And I, but the difference with someone like Trident and networking versus the automated. Is, is you've got someone to talk to that's going to understand you before you start putting stuff into someone's inbox, which makes all the difference. Yeah, it's the human factor, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think also this is a big task, right? It's a daunting task. It's a job within a job. Um, and I think the one thing that's very basic, it might seem super rudimentary, to manage your process, I'm really big on this, by the way, is create a spreadsheet to track everything, right? Um, and it can be as simple as two tabs. One is jobs applied for, and it could be, be potentially kind of jobs that you've seen but you haven't applied for. We'll come back to that. The other one is conversations had or networking, and it could be every person you met at a conference. It could be literally a column that says that who are the, who who are they? Conversation had time and date of conversation, um, and it's your job to track that and keep touching base with those people every month, every two months, and. Um, and uh, just kind of brain dump everything onto a spreadsheet. You will miss stuff. You will apply for jobs that you've forgotten about, and then you reapply, and I promise you, the more you apply for the same job, the worse it looks because desperation creeps in and also um, just multiple applications. It just doesn't look good. Um, But back to the jobs tab, you can start tracking jobs six months out, and it can almost become a, a weird hobby of yours. But on LinkedIn, you can create job alerts in a particular job title that you want to go uh, or you want to move your kind of career into. And let's just say cybersecurity consultant, let's say the generalist who goes to a big four or a consultancy. Um, you can put that as a job alert and then you'll get daily or weekly alerts via email um, into your inbox that will say, hey, James, there's these four new jobs come up. These are the companies. You can then save those jobs, put them into a spreadsheet and track them. And then at 
the three month point before you're out, which is when you want to start applying for jobs, by the way, uh, because people will accept someone on a three month notice period. That is the industry norm. Um, you at want least. to look back, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you want to look back and go, who out of those employers are the, the, the common hirers? Who are constantly hiring? What are they hiring for? What are the job titles? What do they look like? You can even pull out some kind of certifications and put them into a column as well against the job. But for you, it's building, you might be an intelligence officer, right, in Inkor, and you know all about the kind of the physical geopol landscape in Afghanistan. But now you need to learn all about the job landscape on LinkedIn. And that's your new job. And that's you being able to sort of almost minority report and kind of uh, mind, mind map everything out there. And certain companies and certain names will start springing out to you all the time. Um, and you'll see certain certifications that, are, that will keep popping up. Um, but for me, that's just a way of tracking everything. So it's not complete mind fog, I'll say. Um, uh, and, and it's just on, on a spreadsheet. So you just reminded um, me something there, Josh, of, of my on. experience of going through and applying for jobs. And it can be soul destroying. You know, you I I, I tried to um, bespoke each CV to each job. Um, and actually, that's really time consuming. And now it's maybe as a hiring manager, I'm a, I'm a bit picky because when I see a bland CV that hasn't been focused to the job that I'm hiring for, I go, you know, he hasn't put much effort in. But it's really time consuming. But what it got me thinking about was how stressful that period of my life was. Um, you know, you were... You were ending up doing um, a, shed, a shed load of, of applications, not knowing when they were going to get an answer to. And actually, that translated to stress on my wife and my family, you know, and just to normalize this for everybody, it is stressful. Um, you know, unless you're going to be really, really lucky in getting something, just prepare yourself. But but take those moments and just say you are not alone in this. You know, all of us have done this transition um, and, and you've just got to be mindful of, of what it's doing to you and, and to yourself uh, and, and to your family. Um, but keep the faith. You'll get there. You've got an enormous amount of skills, enormous amount to offer, and you will find a job. Uh, there's no doubt. And if you don't, then reach out to us and, and the community will certainly help you with that. Before we uh, wrap up, are there any kind of final kind of words of wisdom, any final sort of points that you guys would like to add to this? Um, I'll start. Um, I'll add one. I've got another one as well. I've got two. Um, but I'll come back around to me. The first one is every conversation you have, ask for a referral to somebody else. It's the power of multiple compound interest uh, via the human. So ask for an introduction. Who do you know that might be able to help me? And everybody, will, if they don't know off the top of their head, they will come back to you. And keep pesting people and asking for those intros because then every meeting's worth two, then three, then etc. And, and they do the work for you. James? Um, I would say lean on the veteran community. I think it's an incredibly powerful thing. Um, and, and lean on the cyber community, you know, because whilst they're not veterans, it's like Andy said, small community, lots of people want support. They want to get the right talent in in the right way. So they're more than happy to, to guide you on what that right way is. Um, with regards to the veteran community, that reach out to tech vets, it's going to cost you nothing. And you've got hundreds of people that are going to bend over backwards to, to give you trustworthy advice, um, you know, all free of charge. For years, we will have got used to job security, being told where to be, in what rig, at what time. And, and actually, it's scary making that transition where you're looking after yourself. So a, a bit of advice that was given to me is, is never get comfortable. Always keep looking. Because, you know, there will be loyalty to your employer, to yourself, to your family, but actually you're not in control anymore uh, and you're not, um, you know, having being told where to go. So the, the bit of advice that I was received is, is don't get comfortable, 
and don't let that network go cold. Keep it moving all the time and expanding it. That's a great piece of advice. And that actually leads into almost what I was going to finish on, which is um, you have to accept and set your own expectation that your next job will not be your last job. Um, you've done 22 years in court, so what? In the private sector, most people, the average I know for a fact is 18 months. It's about 18 to 20 if you specifically. Um, and uh, you have to accept that fact that your next job, you won't be in another job for another 22 years. Um, so also, if you get to your kind of three months out and you're panicking and you're like, I've only got one option, sometimes take it and, and do your 12 months, land, find your feet and move on um, and just accept that is the way of the private sector. Um, so yeah, it's a good piece of advice, Sandy. Um, cutthroat civilian world, but we, we, we're all surviving. Guys, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, good to chat. It's been great catching up. Yeah. Thanks, James. Thanks, Josh. Until next time. A big thank you to James, Andy and Josh for sharing their advice with Cybertech Talks listeners. And thank you for tuning in to another episode. Crest is proud to be a community partner of TechVets, a not-for-profit which provides a bridge for veterans, service leavers, reservists and their families into information technology careers. To learn more, you can visit www.techvets.co. We'll also add a link in the podcast show notes. We look forward to bringing you more episodes of Cyber Experts this year. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast is brought to you by Crest, an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.